0: that. Open your Bibles to Psalm 33, and uh, let's read this psalm together. Uh, since these words are breathed out by God and come with the authority of Christ, we'll, uh, if you're able, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word? The Holy Spirit says, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. The grass withers. The flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You can be seated. Well, one of the truths that is really uh, central to Scripture, and, and it's something that we talk a lot about uh, as a church, is that God is sovereign. Not only will you hear that often uh, from from this pulpit, but uh, just as a member of this church, I can tell you I've heard a lot of you saying to one another, uh, reminding one another that God is sovereign, that he reigns above creation, that he reigns above nations, uh, that he reigns above powers, that he reigns above history. He reigns even above our individual day-to-day lives. He, he rules over all. He's in control over all, and his will always prevails. In his book, Trusting God, Jerry Bridges points out, though, that the fact that God is sovereign by itself is not good news. Just the sheer fact that there is an all-powerful being who is in control of all things, that in and of itself is not good. Because after all, what if the all-powerful being who is in control of all things is evil? What if he's a tyrant? What if he is not reliable? The sheer fact of a God being sovereign itself in a vacuum is not good news. The reason why it is good news that the Creator, the God who is revealed in Scripture, the the reason why it is good news that He is sovereign is because He is not only sovereign. God is completely sovereign, but He is also infinite in wisdom, and He is perfect in love. And it is because the God who is loving is sovereign that it is good news that God is sovereign. It is because the God who is wise is sovereign that it is good news that God is sovereign. Jerry Bridges says this in his book, God, in his love, always wills what is best for us. In his wisdom, he always knows what is best. And in his sovereignty, he has the power to bring it about. He wants good, he knows what good is, and he always brings it about. Because of who the sovereign God is, we can rejoice in the sovereign God. Psalm 33 is a psalm rejoicing in a sovereign God, a God who is sovereign over creation, a God who is sovereign over nations, a God who is sovereign over his people. And this psalm celebrates not only that he is sovereign, but that a good and righteous and loving God is this God who is sovereign. Because of who the sovereign God is, we can rejoice in the sovereign God. Well, how do we rejoice in the sovereign God? Uh, We're going to look at this psalm in two halves, uh, right down the middle, 11 verses to start, 11 verses at the end. The first way we can rejoice in the sovereign God is honor the righteous ruler of creation. Honor the righteous ruler of creation. We'll see this in verses 1 through 11. So Psalm 33, we don't know who wrote it, but this psalmist begins in Psalm 33 calling God's people to make music. Look at verses 1 through 3. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Again, we don't know why, or excuse me, we don't know who wrote Psalm 33, but we do have a pretty good idea of why the arrangers of the Psalms put Psalm 33 right after Psalm 32. Look at verse uh 11 of Psalm 32. Psalm 32 ends, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Rolling right into Psalm 33, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous, praise befits the upright. Uh, So there is this, uh, this interlocking relationship between these two Psalms, and it's fitting because here we are told that the righteous are to shout for joy. And we saw in Psalm 32 who the righteous are. It's not those who were good on their own. It's those who were justified by grace through faith in a God who justifies the ungodly. And the people of God who have been declared righteous, even though uh, they are sinners deserving God's condemnation, uh, people who have been declared righteous Ought to praise God, praise befits the righteous. It is appropriate, it is the only fitting thing that if we have been sinners who have been declared righteous, we should rejoice and celebrate in this God who has made us righteous. We should worship him with all sorts of things. We should worship him with our whole lives, including we should worship him with music. Uh, In verse 2, uh, the, the psalmist uh, calls on the people of God to use the lyre, which is a stringed instrument, and the harp of ten strings to give thanks to the Lord and to make melody to the Lord in worship. Now, a- as an instrumentalist myself, I have to point out that according to the Bible, instruments are to be used to praise God, Okay? Uh, this is a command of God that we are to use stringed instruments in the worship of God. But not only that, we're not just to use them. He actually says we're to make melody with a stringed instrument. Um, and so it, it, stringed instruments are not only to be used to accompany singing, although they are to be used to, to accompany uh, singing instruments are even to be used just to make melody to the Lord. All forms of music are to be offered to the Lord in worship to Him. And He also says that in verse three, that these this instrumental worship that is offered to God should be done skillfully. Play skillfully on the strings. Uh, skill is not just for performance. Skill is not something just to draw attention to uh, a musician. Skill is something that God values. Uh, Skill matters for worship. Uh, We are to offer everything, um, in in everything we worship God in, we are to offer our best, our first. Uh, We are uh, are to offer God not lazy service, not half-hearted service, but to offer our best. And so skill matters for worship in that regard. Uh, But also, skill matters for service. Uh, Now again, instruments aren't only to be used to accompany singing, but one of the main ways instruments are used in the worship of God is to accompany uh, singing, to serve the congregation. Uh, And skill matters for service. Again, skill is not just for a performance to draw attention to the skilled person. Skill matters for service focused on others. A good illustration of that is um, if you think about a server in a restaurant. Skill matters for that server's service, uh, for him to be able to serve his customers well. But that service is done with skill not to draw attention to the waiter and give applause to the waiter. The service is skilled in order to give the customers the opportunity to be free to enjoy the feast before them. And that's the role of skill in musical worship as well. Uh, To serve people, to get out of the way, to not draw attention to the skilled person, but to keep attention off of the skilled person so that the feast before the worshipers, in this case, would be able to be enjoyed. Uh, Instruments matter to God. Skill matters to God. But it's not just instruments we're to offer to God in worship. We are to sing, he says in verse 3. We're to sing songs. In fact, we're to sing a new song. Why? Why should we sing a new song? Why aren't the songs that we've already sung for generations. Why don't we have enough songs already? Do we really need a new song? Well, the reason we need a new song and the people of God will always be singing a new song is because God is infinite. We will never ever run out of things to sing about. Not only that God keeps working. God keeps on doing new things. He is worthy of more. He is worthy of our praise. He will n- we will never run out of reasons to celebrate this God. Well, the psalmist draws our attention to some specific reasons to praise the righteous ruler of creation in verses 4 and 5. He says, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. The psalmist draws our attention to the character of this righteous ruler of creation, the character of this God. And for his character, he is worthy of praise and melody and song and joy. He draws attention to to four characteristics of this God. Uh, First, that he is righteous, specifically that his word is upright. Uh, When this God speaks, what he says is always right. It is reliable. You can take it to the bank as always true, always right, always good. This God is also faithful. All his work is done in faithfulness. Uh, He is consistent. He doesn't change with the times. He doesn't change based on a mood or he is always consistent. He is always trustworthy in what he does. Uh, He is also just. He loves righteousness and justice. He he takes no pleasure in wickedness. He's not twisted or corrupt. He is just, right, and good. And he is the God of steadfast love. Uh, In fact, the psalmist says that the earth is full full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Now, the the steadfast love of the Lord is God's uh, care and, and specific uh, love that he shows, especially to his covenant people. Uh, and so only his covenant people experience the, the fullness of what it means to experience God's steadfast love. But at the same time, the psalmist can say truthfully that the whole world gets to enjoy God's steadfast love because even those who are not part of God's people still get to enjoy a world that is created by and overseen by a God of steadfast love. Even those outside of uh, God's covenant, even those outside of the people of God, for instance, experience uh, the grace of God and the steadfast love of God that keeps him from flooding the earth again. Uh, They enjoy uh, the steadfast love of God that has, by his grace and kindness, written the law on their hearts. Uh, he, they enjoy the, the love and care of God that shows kindness and patience, withholding judgment until the right time. This is God's love and care for all his creation. And speaking of creation, the psalmist moves on in verses 6 and 7 to talk about the power of God's word to create. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host, he gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. God simply spoke and something came out of nothing. I'm no scientist, but that doesn't just happen. It takes a God of infinite power To bring something out of nothing. And that is the power that God's word has. Not only did he speak the world into existence, he also remains actively in control. And we see that in in a phrase like he gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. Uh, Throughout different moments in redemptive history, God holds back waters for his people showing that he is still Lord of creation not just the beginning of creation. And of course, as we hear the psalmists say that it was by the word of the Lord that the heavens were made, we're also uh, reminded of of what would be said uh, years and years later, that Jesus, the Son of God himself, is the word made flesh. And John says in John 1, 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made the power of God's word to create, and this deserves a response. The fact that God can speak creation into existence, that he has that sort of power, deserves a response, as we see in verses 8 and 9. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded And it stood firm. God's ability to create with his word out of nothing deserves the response of fear. Of standing in awe and reverence before this God. Of living every moment of our lives conscious of God. That we live our lives before this God. And that we should honor him with every step along the way. God not only, again, created the world, he also rules over the world. And we see more of that in verses 10 and 11. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Uh, So as we've already seen, when God speaks, his word has power. The nations that he created don't have that sort of power with the things that they say. The nations can make a plan, can counsel together with their words. They can say, we're going to do this, that, or the other. But if the sovereign God says no, their plans fail. Their counsel crumbles. On the other hand, when the God who spoke creation into existence says he's going to do something everything always goes according to his plan his counsel stands forever he is the sovereign righteous ruler of creation so in summary we've seen god is righteous god is faithful god is just god is loving and this is the God, this is the character of the God who both created the world and rules over the world as the sovereign God. Therefore, we should live in fear of this God. We should bow down to him. We should make music and celebrate him. We should praise him. We should honor the righteous ruler of creation. Well, f- Let's think together about what it looks like to honor the righteous ruler of creation. Specifically, what it means to respond to the God who has revealed himself as righteous and faithful and just and loving. Well, consider this. Be- because the ruler of creation is righteous, we can trust his word. His word is upright. We can trust his word. So, follow what God says even when it's hard. His word is right. His word is sometimes hard, but his word is always right. So even when God says something like, do all things without grumbling or disputing, without complaining or arguing, that is hard. But it is right. Because the ruler of creation is righteous, we can trust his word And follow it even when it's hard. Because the ruler of creation is faithful, we can trust his promises. So find confidence in God's promises that are fulfilled in Christ. Uh, For instance, uh, he promises he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. That's 1 Corinthians 10 13. He will not let you be tempted. Beyond your ability. If you were in Christ and you were facing a, a, a time where you just feel like you are being tested beyond what you're able, that feeling is not true. You can hold fast, you can cling to the promise of God that he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. We can rely on him as the faithful God. We can trust his promises. Because the ruler of creation is just, we know that he will hold us accountable. Again, we see this God who overlooks all of creation. We'll see in the following verses that he sees all, even the inside of our hearts. And this God is just, so we know he will hold us accountable. And so we should honor this God by walking in the fear of the Lord, as this psalm calls us to. We should acknowledge him in every step. We should know that we will be held accountable, that this life is not our own. We will answer to God. But at the same time, because the rule of creation is just, we also know that he has fully condemned sin in Christ. And so if we trust in God because God is just, we can walk in the fear of God without walking in fear of punishment. We can walk every step Concerned with what does God think? How does God want me to behave? And live for God without ever living in the fear of, oh no, what if I cross the line this time? What if I exceed God's grace? What if I finally messed up big enough that God is going to punish me? Because God is just and because he justly punished sin fully in Christ, if you have trusted in him, you can walk in the fear of the Lord without walking in fear of punishment. And then lastly, because the ruler of creation is loving, we can trust his every decision. Because the ruler of creation is loving, we can trust his every sovereign decision in our lives. Even when his sovereign decision in our life is death, even when his sovereign decision in our life is disaster, even when his sovereign decision in our life is disease, we can know his love never ceases. Paul says in Romans 8, 38 to 39, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The one who rules over creation is a God of steadfast love. So honor the righteous ruler of creation. That's one way we can rejoice in the sovereign God, to honor the righteous ruler of creation. A second way we see in the second half of this psalm, and that is to hope in the loving Lord of the church. Hope in the loving Lord of the church. Look with me at verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. So think about all that we've seen about this God, his righteousness, his justice, his faithfulness, his love. After all we've seen about who Yahweh is, how amazing is it that a group of people would be chosen by this God to belong to him as his special possession This God, the the ruler of creation, the one who spoke all things into existence, this righteous, loving, faithful Yahweh, chose Abraham. He promised to Abraham to make a nation from him and his offspring. God told the nation of Israel that came from Abraham in Deuteronomy 7, 6, You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you. To be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. On their own, Israel would just be another nation. Whose plans God frustrated, like we saw earlier in Psalm 33. But because the creator chose them, they are blessed. Uh, we saw that word last week. Remember, it means flourishing, happy, thriving, the people who belong to Yahweh are thriving. They're they're living the best life a nation can live. The New Testament teaches us that it's all who trust in Christ, Jews and Gentiles, who are ultimately Abraham's Offspring. Paul teaches us that in Galatians 3 29, and Peter in 1 Peter 2 9 tells Christians, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Uh, so, the flourishing nation whose God is the Lord, whose God is Yahweh, is ultimately the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're in Christ, we can say, We are blessed. We are blessed because our God is Yahweh. We belong to the people he has chosen as his heritage. This God is our God and we are his people. Well, after making this statement about how blessed the people who belong to Yahweh are, the psalmist then zooms out to Yahweh's oversight of all nations in verses 13 through 15. The Lord Yahweh looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. Uh, So, God is the nation. Yahweh is the, uh, the God of, the nation, of one nation. He has his chosen holy people, but he is also sovereign over all nations. He looks out over all the people of the world. He sits enthroned as the one who rules above all kings, all nations. He sees every individual human soul that he fashioned by his hand, and he knows all. He sees all, outside and inside. Well, what specifically does the psalmist want us to know that God sees as he looks out on all the nations of the earth? Look at verses 16 and 17. What does he see? The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. So the sovereign ruler over all nations, this God who is on the throne of heaven, looks out and he sees all the nations of the earth. And they're trusting in their human power. They're trusting in their warriors with great power. They're trusting in war horses. And he sees that a strong military is not a guarantee of success. He sees that the mightiest warriors, the fullest arsenals, are false hopes for success. False hopes for salvation. There is no power in creation that guarantees victory for a nation. No nation is strong enough to be absolutely secure. No nation is powerful enough to always dominate. Human power is a false hope. So then what hope is there for any people? As he looks out on all nations, look at verses 18 and 19. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. So Yahweh sees everybody. He looks and observes all, over all nations. But his eye is on a specific group of people. His eye is on those who fear him. Those who trust in him. Who place their hope not in warriors, not in war horses, but who place their hope in him. This phrase, the eye being on is a statement about God's favor. And it's a statement that is all around Psalm 33. Look back at Psalm 31, verse 22. David writes, I said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight, uh, and it's using that same phrase, and it's the idea that his, that the, the the Lord would remove His eye from him. In other words, that He would remove His favor from him. Uh, then in verse thirty, or excuse me, Psalm thirty-two, in verse eight, um, Yahweh's instruction through David is, "I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with My eye upon you." It's a statement of His favor being upon him. And then flip ahead, we'll look at this next week, Psalm 34 and verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. For the eye of the Lord to be on or toward people, it's a statement of who he favors, who he blesses. Well, the creator's favor is on those who hope in his covenant, those who trust in him as their savior, who rely on the God of the nations, not the power of the nations. The people who have hope, the people who stand a chance are those who trust the creator, not who trust their army. The people who stand a chance are the ones who place their hope in the sovereign God and rejoice in Him and trust in Him and His steadfast love and live in the fear of Him, not those with great war horses, not those with the greatest human ability. Those are the people the Creator favors. That is the blessed nation, those who fear Him, who hope in His covenant. And so then at the end of Psalm 33, the psalmist gives these people, God's people, those who fear Yahweh, hope in Him. Uh, The the, the nation that stands out among the nations of the earth. He gives the, the people of God language with which to express this hope, to express this confidence, to express this trust in their Creator God. In the final verses of Psalm 33, beginning in verse 20, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in Him because we trust in His holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. After making the statement about how God looks at the nations of the world trusting in human strength and the futility of that, the people of God rightly respond saying, that's not what we want to trust in. We're not going to wait on a warrior to save us. We're going to wait on the Lord. We're not going to trust in a war horse. You are our help. You are our shield. We're not going to rejoice in how great our army is. We're not going to rejoice in how much we can do in our ability. Our heart is glad in you. We don't trust in what we can do. We trust in your holy name. We trust in your steadfast love. Our hope is in you. They trust Yahweh from the heart for help And protection, they they rejoice in Yahweh from the heart because of their confidence in Him. And and all of this is—it's an invitation of the people of God in the Psalmist's day. It's an invitation for the people of God today to hope in the loving Lord of the church. Hope in the loving Lord of the church. Now, since I am preaching this Psalm. In America, in the 21st century, I need to clarify something. Psalm 33:12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, is not about America. It's not for America or any other modern nation state. Uh, so many of you know I grew up in churches. I grew up in American evangelical churches. And so in the early 2000s, I did what all good church kids did. I bought my T-shirts from the Family Christian Bookstore, uh, and usually what you could walk away with is some sort of a, a pun T-shirt that was probably pretty close to copyright infringement, but you know, just changing some of the letters of the logo of Reese's or whatever. Um, so, but my shirt that I walked away with that I wore, and I, I you can find well, you can't find, <laughs> but there are pictures that exist that you won't find of me wearing uh, this shirt. From the Family Christian bookstore. And it was it was a shirt that had a, a big American flag on it, and the Bible laid out on top of the American flag. And it said, One nation under God. And right along the bottom, it said, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. I mean, this is this is in deep in our culture, right? Our church culture, the American evangelicalism. And so we just need to acknowledge as people who swim in those waters that this verse is often taken out of context and misused by those who want to promote the false teaching of Christian nationalism. Uh, The idea of those who take this verse out of context like was on my shirt seems to be that, well, if we just make Yahweh our God, if, if we make Yahweh the God of America, then our nation will be blessed, right? Make make God uh, you know put God in blessing out right we we just need enough people to make Yahweh the God of America then our nation will be blessed. Well, there's a lot of problems with that interpretation and there's two really big problems from Psalm 33 that we need to understand that help us apply Psalm 33 rightly. So the first problem is that verse 12 blessed is the nation uh, uh, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. That is about the people that Yahweh has chosen, not people who make a choice about Yahweh. Look at the second half of that verse. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Well, according to Scripture, as we look at the whole counsel of Scripture, who are the people that Yahweh has chosen? Those who trust in Jesus, those from every nation, not just one nation, those from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every language, who place faith in Jesus to save them from their sins. So, so uh, first of all, uh, this is not just a verse that some nation can take a hold of and, and embrace. This is a very specific statement about the people that God has chosen. But, second, another problem from Psalm 33. With how this verse is often applied, many who who want to take Psalm thirty three twelve to apply to America, then use tactics that this very psalm calls false hopes. Many who want to take this idea of you know blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, we just need to make America uh, the the nation that that is that is belonging to the Lord, will then. Try to achieve that by human strength, human ability. We'll trust in warriors, maybe not military warriors, but political warriors with great strength, to use language from Psalm 33. We'll uh, trust in political warriors who don't fear the Lord, but who use their political war horses to fight for us, and they place their hope and these warriors and political warhorses for rescue. There are many who follow the playbook of the pagan nations in trying to Christianize our nation. Well, we just need to understand from Psalm 33, you will never experience flourishing by manipulating God with human strength. You will never experience flourishing by manipulating God with human force. This is not a psalm for an earthly nation. This is a psalm for the people of God, from every nation who trust in Christ alone for salvation. And this is a psalm that, that is not to encourage us to embrace human strength. This is a psalm that is meant to draw us away from trusting in human strength. It's a psalm that's meant to inspire us and lead us to fear Yahweh instead of looking like the rest of the nation's. It's a psalm that's meant to lead us to hope in his steadfast love expressed in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a psalm that's meant to lead us to trust in the name of Jesus, not trust in strength or power. And we also need to recognize that this psalm applies to more than national politics. We can trust in human strength over the steadfast love of God in all sorts of ways. Are you trusting, for instance, in human ability to save you from your sins, that if you just do enough good, if you just do enough religious things, that then God will be pleased with you, God's favor will be upon you, you're trusting in a false hope. The one God saves is the one who trusts in him, not in human ability. Are you trusting in human strength in your parenting? If I just get the right routine, if I just make my kids do the right activities, then, you know, bada bing, bada boom, they'll come out as the right, perfect kids. Or are you hoping in God instead of your ability? Are you trusting worldly wisdom to guide you in your career? Or are you content to walk in the fear of the Lord even when you're in the minority? You know, the psalmist uses this phrase in verse 21, our heart is glad in Him because we trust in His holy name. Could it be that if your heart is heavy, It's because you're trusting in a false hope. Maybe today your heart needs to be gladdened by letting go of a warrior, letting go of a war horse, letting go of human strength, letting go of human ability, and letting your heart be glad because you trust in God as your shield. You trust in God as your help. You trust in God for strength, God for security, God for steadfast love. Hope in the loving Lord of the church. Because of who this sovereign God is, because of his character, his righteousness, his justice, his faithfulness, his love, we can rejoice in our sovereign God. He is the one who rules over creation with love, with justice, with faithfulness. And he is the one who rules our lives. He's the one who rules his church. He is the one we should place our hope in. So may we together rejoice in the sovereign God because of who he is. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, have already identified areas in our hearts where we are not trusting you. Lord, I pray that you have already identified ways that we are not trusting that you are righteous, faithful, just, loving. That you've identified areas where we are relying instead on human strength, human ability, human power, human strategies. And Lord, I pray that if you have identified those things in the hearts of those who are hearing my voice now, Lord, that right now you would give faith and grace for that person to release their grip on their false hope and to place their hope entirely in you and in your son who died and rose again. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be glad because we trust in you, our sovereign God, sovereign over the nations, sovereign over our hearts. Would we trust in you for you are good. We love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.